Well, thank you, Brian and the team. Um, we're actually going to be looking at the Lord's Prayer uh, this morning, um, so that's a very fitting song for the time we're about to have together. Um, my name is Jake, if we haven't uh, had the chance to meet, and um, I'm on staff here as a student ministries director, and we're continuing our uh, summer series uh, called The Shepherd and His Prayer. Last Sunday, we finished up looking at Psalm 23, The Lord is My Shepherd, and uh, this Sunday, we will begin in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, you can open up to Matthew 6. Uh, we'll be reading from it um, here shortly. So uh, our uh, yeah, one connection, just kind of as we transition to the Lord's Prayer. Um, notice how I'm checking my collar. I just had like this, this I don't know if you are here a few weeks ago, but... <laughs> My collar was sticking. Now I have this like whole like thing where I'm like, oh no, and my collar's like sticking up. Okay. Uh, yeah. Oh, thanks, Paul. Yeah. <laughs> you said it's my fly. Now I have so many things to worry about. Okay. Don't help me with that one. So, okay. Uh, off the rails. Back on track. So our uh, good shepherd. This is a connection I want to make. So in Psalm 23, uh, it talks about the Lord is our shepherd. Jesus is our shepherd. And uh, that he, he leads us beside uh, still waters and to green pastures, and he restores our soul, and he satisfies us, and um, he leads us in paths of righteousness, and he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, and he has good things in store for us, right? That our eternal home, that's where eventually he's leading us, where there will be feasting and goodness and mercy and joy. Um, and the connection I want to make is that when we now look at the Lord's Prayer, this is the same Good Shepherd, this is the same Jesus, and he has given us a prayer that we can use uh, on our journey. As we go through the highs and the lows of life, as we, as we go through uh, we have seasons of green pasture and besides still waters, and as we go through the valley of the shadow of death, we have a prayer that Jesus has given to us that will help us on our journey, that will shape all of the prayers that we offer to our Heavenly Father. Um, so just to be thinking um, about that. Now, the Lord's Prayer, uh, it's probably more accurately called uh, the Disciples' Prayer because this isn't something that uh, Jesus, uh, the, whole, you know, the whole thing, would have prayed because halfway through the prayer you see, you know, talks about the, asking the Father for forgiveness for um, our debts. And Jesus, being perfect and without sin, had no need to ask the Father for forgiveness and, and to confess his sins. So when we look at the Lord's Prayer, we uh, need to be thinking of it as a, as a gift that Jesus has offered to us as a pattern for prayer, as a model for prayer, um, as a template, perhaps, for prayer, to pray then like this. Um, the Lord's Prayer shows up in two, places, two different places in the Gospels, uh, in Matthew 6, uh, which we'll be in this morning, and then Luke 11. In the Luke 11 passage, uh, it says that Jesus was off praying in a certain place, and when he had finished praying, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray. And then Jesus goes into the Lord's Prayer. In Matthew 6, we'll see Jesus starts by saying, pray then like this. So just from the onset to remember, this is, this is Jesus, the eternal Son of God, the creator of the universe, offering instructions and a guide to prayer. And it is um, to just start in that humble position of we should be listening to Jesus and, and what he has to say about prayer. Um, Andrew Murray, uh, he was a 19th century South African uh, pastor and missionary and I wanted to read a quote uh, by him 
uh, this morning. This is from his book, With Christ in the School of Prayer. Lord, teach us to pray. Yes, to pray. This is what we need to be taught. Though in its beginnings, prayer is so simple that the youngest of children can even pray, yet it is at the same time the highest and holiest work to which man can rise. It is fellowship with the invisible and most holy one. It is through prayer that the promises of God await their fulfillment, that the kingdom awaits its coming, that the glory of God awaits their full revelation. And for this blessed work, how lazy and unfit we are. And I would say amen to that for me, myself, uh, when I think about prayer, and I think even just preparing this week for this message, um, I am so inexperienced and so have so much to learn. Um, but the comfort that it is right after this, it's only through, it's only the Spirit of God that can enable us to do it correctly. How quickly we are deceived into complacency while God's power is available to us. Oh, for someone to teach me to pray like that. I love this. Jesus has opened a school in which he trains his redeemed ones, those who especially desire it to have power in prayer. Shall we not enter it with the petition, Lord, this is just what we need to be taught. Oh, Lord, teach us to pray. Come, my brothers, shall we not go to the blessed master and ask him to permanently enroll our names in that school, which he always keeps open for those who long to continue their studies in the divine art of prayer and intercession. Yes, let us this very day say to the master, as they did of old, Lord, teach us to pray. So why don't you uh, stand with me with this uh, heart attitude in mind um, and out of respect for the scriptures. And I'll read um, our passage this morning. We're in Matthew 6. I'm going to start in verse 5. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Amen. All right, you may be seated. Um, as, you, as you saw from that passage uh, we just read, Jesus gives uh, two examples of how not to pray before he offers us the, the model prayer that uh, we're looking at. First, he says, don't pray to be seen by others. And secondly, don't pray thinking that you'll be heard because of the length of your prayer, how many words you use, or repeating these empty phrases over and over again. And then he says, pray then like this. And, and the structure of the prayer itself is pretty straightforward. You have an opening address to identify who you are praying to, um, our Father in heaven. And that is followed by six different petitions. And we could organize those six different petitions or requests into two different sets. The first three petitions focus on God's glory. So his name, his kingdom, and his will. 
And then the last three petitions focus on our needs and our own good, which is our daily bread, our forgiveness, and deliverance from evil. And uh, as a church, we're planning on going through the Lord's Prayer, uh, slowly taking a line or two each Sunday for the month of August. And I'm going to be working through that first line, the opening address, Our Father in Heaven. So yes, I have four words uh, that I'm preaching this morning. Uh, and I understand, like, it's risky putting the youth guy up front to preach, so you can mitigate that risk by reducing the number of words that he has. Um, so I think that's probably why. Uh, and, I mean, what's the worst that I could happen? What worst that could happen that where I'm preaching just four words? Um, no, I'm just kidding. Um, no, there is, uh, we all know this, there's a tremendous amount that can be said in very few words. And Jesus says a tremendous amount um, in these four words, these four powerful words. And these, if we can um, have these truths land deeply in our heart, it'll change our lives forever. So I have a, a, a very uh, elaborate <clears throat> outline this morning. So uh, I hope you can see how I got there. Uh, I know it's complicated, but uh, <laughs> we're going to be looking at prayer as a relationship. Um, and we're going to talk about our, and then we're going to talk about Father in Heaven. So why be complicated when it can be very, very simple? Um, so let's talk about our. Uh, first, we pray to our Father, not my Father. Um, notice the plural pronouns uh, throughout the prayer. Uh, if you look at the passage, our Father, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So there's nine plural pronouns in there, um, and there's 52 words in the prayer itself, uh, at least in the ESV translation. And uh, I want you to imagine, like, if, if you were Jesus, um, which probably, you know, hopefully no one actually is, like, thinking of that. That would be very bad if you're thinking of that for, for real. But imagine for a second that if you were Jesus and you sat down and you're like, what, if I'm going to lay out a model prayer for my followers and disciples to use, like a template, um, how would you craft it? What language would you use? Would, you, would it be individual or corporate in nature? And we learn from this passage that Jesus and the prayer that he has passed on to us, that it is a community, community-based prayer. F.F. Um, F. Bruce, in his commentary on this passage, I think I have this quote up here, um, in Matthew 6, he says this, I am a member of a community, so I say our. I have been made a son, so I say father. We are to pray to our father, um, our father who has many, many children. We are to pray by joining with our many, many brothers and sisters in Christ as we pray. Now, I think just to clarify, uh, is Jesus saying that we're not allowed to use like singular pronouns while we pray? Like if we ever say my or I or me, um, then, or if you hear someone praying like that, you can secretly judge them and say, ha, if they only knew uh, that you're not supposed to use me, mine, eyes. Uh, of course not. Uh, that's, that's not what Jesus is communicating here. If we look at John 17, uh, the longest prayer that Jesus, we have of Jesus recorded, uh, and you just skim through John 17, you'll see there are so many eyes and me's as Jesus is praying to his Father. So Jesus is not communicating that. And I think this is a clarifying point, just even on the onset of looking at this, this prayer for the month of August, that um, Jesus isn't instructing us that every time we pray, we should be reciting this verbatim. And that this is something you have to use the exact words. 
Rather, Jesus is giving us a model for our prayers, a structure for us to learn from, that we should shape all of our prayers around the insights that we gain from this prayer. And of course, it's a really good thing to memorize the Lord's Prayer and to recite it. Um, and um, maybe some of you have used the practice of using the Lord's Prayer as an outline of sorts where you say, Our Father in Heaven, and you meditate on that truth, and you think about uh, those things as you pray, and then you move on to the next line, Hallowed be your name, and you think about God's holiness and his attributes, and you kind of shape your whole pra- personal prayers uh, around that going line by line. Um, but Jesus is not, he's not saying that we have to do that every time. Uh, but the, again, the insights that we learn from this prayer uh, should be shaping everything, or all the prayers that we have on our journey of following our good shepherd. Um, it, so yeah, the fact that Jesus says our and uses these plural pronouns, uh, this reminds us that you know, Christianity is not a me and Jesus, me and God situation. Christianity is uh, a being invited into the family of God and being a part of a community. And our prayers should reflect this reality and this truth. So a couple applications uh, related to that. In our personal prayer time, um, do we come before God with this in mind? Uh, Maybe you're praying by yourself in your room with the door shut, like Jesus says in verse 6. And although you're alone physically, in a spiritual sense, you are not alone as you go before the Heavenly Father Um, with all the other brothers and sisters in Christ that you have now become united to through faith in Jesus. And then secondly, are we as a church regularly praying with other brothers and sisters in Christ? Um, This is a great privilege we have. We're given to go before our Heavenly Father and to bring our needs before him. So are we praying with our spouse? Are we praying with our children? Are we praying in our missional communities? Are we praying with other believers in our lives. On Sunday mornings, when there's prayers offered up, are you going before the Heavenly Father, um, uniting with your brothers and sisters and bringing these requests before him? Do you have that heart and that mind as you go um, into prayer? Or are you like me sometimes, and you're it, because it's human nature and it's so easy, where you just start critiquing the prayer that's being prayed? Uh, has anybody ever done that? <laughs> um, or, on the flip side, if you're the one praying out loud, you're just worried about everyone else critiquing you about what's being prayed. <laughs> so, um, uh, that is not what God has for us. Uh, we are to come to God uh, as brothers and sisters in Christ and bringing our needs before our Heavenly Father and recognizing that we are all in need and to have that spirit of unity and compassion and love um, as we go before God. Um, so our, our Father in heaven. Um, now, Father in heaven, let's, let's focus on that. Um, probably, probably for most of us, uh, calling God our Father doesn't feel like anything new or wonderful or exciting, perhaps. Like calling God your Father is just something that you do when you pray. You just always heard it that way. Um, it's become maybe familiar and boring, something we take for granted. We've lost the wonder of it all. Um, So I would just challenge you, would you pause this morning and think afresh about what it means that we can call the God of the universe our Father? Um, Listen to what the Apostle John says in uh, 1 John, I think I have a slide for this, Jen. 1 John 3.1 says this, See what kind of love the Father has given to us that we should be called 
children of God. And so we are. Notice that word at the beginning, see. In other words, wake up to the reality. Like, open your eyes, see with fresh eyes that God is your Father, and don't miss the remarkable truth for those who are in Christ, that we are his children. And I think just even having this passage of Scripture reminds us that it's so quickly for us to not see that and to just lose sight of it and to miss it. And, you know, as I sought to do this for myself, like see this with fresh eyes, because I have the same thing where it just becomes like our Father and just, you know, you lose touch with how amazing that is. One thing that was helpful for me was to be reminded of how offensive it was for Jesus to uh, instruct his disciples to say our Father to his original Jewish audience, how controversial and offensive that would have been. Um, To view God as a loving parent, as a father, as the foundational basis of your relationship with him. Um, If you look for God being referenced as father in the Old Testament, it pops up a few times. Um, in, the, in the scriptures that the Jewish uh, people would have access to at the time. And you'll see, um, you'll find it mentioned uh, that God as the father of his covenant people, the nation of Israel, you'll see it in Deuteronomy a few times in the Psalms. You'll see it a few times in Isaiah and Jeremiah. But in no way is God as father this dominant or primary thing in the Old Testament. Um, we see God as Lord. We see God as holy. We see God as Yahweh. And then Jesus enters the scene and things change. In all four Gospels, uh, when Jesus speaks about God, he, is typically, he typically refers to him as Father. And when we're given the privilege of listening in to Jesus' prayers as recorded in the Gospels, um, Jesus always refers to God as Father. Um, I think it was Steve this past week. It, it, there's one exception. Um, Steve this past week uh, just made the point that the only time that we see him not calling God Father is when he's on the cross and he's praying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And not only does the Gospels in the New Testament teach that, you know, Jesus is calling God Father, uh, it also teaches us and instructs us to do that, that we have the privilege of coming before God as our Father. And the reason we're instructed to do this is not because it's just some heartwarming metaphor, um, that it helps us to feel good about God, and that you know, and that's all it is. No, like we pray to God as our Father because we have become united to Christ by faith, and because of our union with Jesus, we have become children of God, and God has become our Father. So this is this is this is the reality of who we are, uh, of our identity. Um, on at, uh, John uh, chapter one, let's look at that uh, verse. Um, Uh, verses 11 through 13 says this. So it says, He, referring to Jesus, came to his own, came to the Jewish people, and his own people did not receive him. But to all who did receive him, and to all of us who receive him today, who believed in his name, and all of us who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God, who were born not of blood, meaning not because of like the family you were born into or the nation or country you were born into, not born of the will of the flesh or the will of man. That's not something that you can earn or achieve or reach. But you have been given the right to become a child of God uh, because of the gift of Jesus giving himself and by receiving him, believing in his name and being born of God. And as I reflected more on the fact that like Jesus's, or that the Jewish leaders were so bothered and offended by Jesus calling God Father, um, 
actually kind of grew to sympathize with the Jewish leaders uh, to, to a certain point. Um, because if you, uh, if you don't believe that Jesus is the eternal son of God, and then this guy rolls up on the scene and says God is his father, um, that, and then you know all the Old Testament scriptures about how God is holy and, and he is powerful and that, you know, that his presence makes people uh, just they're terrified and, and they are before the God of the universe. And f- to someone, for someone to have the audacity to say that God is my father um, would it, was blasphemy. Actually, in John 5, it says that the Jewish leaders, when Jesus was talking about God as father, uh, the Jewish leaders like said, we, this is deserving a capital punishment. Jesus should die like, because of this claim that he's making. Um, and to kind of give you, uh, I don't know, a survey of sorts, just a few passages in the Old Testament, um, to think about God's holiness, and, and God hasn't changed. Uh, we, even the prayer itself, our Father in heaven, the in heaven part, reminds us of God's holiness. Um, in Exodus 20, uh, after God had uh, delivered his covenant people from the hands of Pharaoh in Egypt and led them out, and God reveals himself to Moses on Mount Sinai and gives the, the Israelites the Ten Commandments on top of the mountain. And the people of Israel in this uh, Exodus 20, they were instructed to not go up the mountain or even touch the mountain where, where God was to reveal himself or they would be put to death. And it says this in Exodus 20, 18 and 19. Now when all the people saw the thunder and the flashes of lightning and the sound of the trumpet and the mountain smoking, the people were afraid and trembled. And they stood far off and said to Moses, you speak to us and we will listen, but do not let God speak to us lest we die. You know, when, and then when you, when you have this passage and you're thinking like, how, how dare anyone claim to say that this God is your father? This God of thunder and lightning and trumpet and smoke who makes his people tremble with fear. Or another example, at the end of the book of Job, after God reveals himself to Job and uh, shows him the, his mighty works of creation. Um, this is Job's response after God reveals himself. In Job 42, I think I have maybe a slide for that one too. Um, Job 42, 5 and 6. So this is Job speaking. He says, I had heard of you, God, by hearing of the ear, but now my eye sees you. Therefore, I despise myself, and I repent in dust and ashes. So our God is a God whose presence makes someone despise themselves and repent in dust and ashes. When you don't have Christ as your substitute, you don't have Jesus as your righteousness, that when standing before God without Jesus' covering, you despise yourself and you repent. And who are we to claim like this God as our Father? And then my last example, Isaiah 6. Uh, this is a part where Isaiah is in the throne room of God and he sees the Lord high and lifted up. Um, and the train of his robe is filling the temple and Isaiah responds to this moment of being in God's presence, not with, oh, this is so peaceful, you know. This is a wonderful experience. No, he says, uh, Woe is me, for I am lost. I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For my eyes have seen the King, 
the Lord of hosts. Now, when you reflect on those Old Testament passages, and it's not just exclusive to the Old Testament, there's plenty of examples in the New Testament where we see God's presence uh, invoking this, this fear and this, his holiness. He, he's so other that uh, we respond in this way. But we, do, we are left with this choice, um, as I see it, a couple options. You can come to these portraits of God, of his holiness, of his power, of his authority, and it freaks you out, freaks me out. And you can be like, okay, one option is maybe these portraits of God are misplaced and wrong. And what we see in the New Testament of like Jesus's grace and kindness in the portraits of God the Father as kind and, and tender and not having this response, um, that is one path you can take. And, and some Christians will do that, right? Um, but what if we are to be um, faithful to, to the scriptures and to what Jesus taught and what the New Testament teaches is that God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And that the God that we call Father today, that we say our Father in heaven, is the same God that we see making his holiness and his power and his perfection and his purity known in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. And when we think of this prayer, our Father in heaven, uh, with God's holiness in mind, that he is in heaven, that he is so unlike us, uh, that we are made in his image, not the other way around, that he is God and that we are not. And we think of God in this way, and we address our Father with this truth in mind. We start to see the absolute privilege it is to be called a child of God, the absolute privilege it is that we can come before God um, in prayer and call him our Father. And an, another perspective that was helpful for me, um, it, being reminded of God's holiness and his presence and, and who he is, Another thing that was helpful in just helping me to see the privilege it is that we can come before God in prayer and say our Father was by looking at what Jesus tells us in John 17 in the high priestly prayer about what it was like before the world was made. Jesus gives us a little bit of insight of uh, before everything was created, um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit existing eternally in eternity past and what their relationship consisted of. And, and looking at that helped me to, I guess, have a, a wider angle, wider view of the privilege this is. And in John 17, Jesus paints a portrait of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. They're the perfect love that has always existed within the Trinity. The relationship, the friendship that has always existed there. The Father and Son and Holy Spirit um, having always existed, forever existed, perfectly unified, adoring one another, glorifying one another, delighting in one another, that God is perfectly happy and perfectly filled with joy within himself, and that God does not need us to fulfill any of those needs. And I think that's kind of what, the, the, that's kind of what begs the question, right? Why did, then why did God create everything? <laughs> If he was perfectly happy and perfectly joyful and had uh, everything he need, needed within himself, um, why, why, why everything? <laughs> why was the universe created? Why were we created? And uh, Tim Keller, 
he wrote a book on prayer, um, and the title of the book is called Prayer, uh, which is so creative. I, I love it. Um, the subtitle is, is very good, though. Experiencing Awe and Intimacy with God, and he picks up on this, uh, picks up on this truth. Um, he says this, If God did not need to create other beings in order to know love and happiness, then why did he do so? The only reason God would have had for creating us was not to get the cosmic love and joy of relationship, because he already had that, but to share it. It is completely consistent for a triune God who is other-oriented in his very core, who seeks glory only to give it to others, to communicate happiness and delight in his own divine perfections and beauty to others. Notice what Tim Keller says about prayer here. We can see why a triune God would call us to converse with him, to know and to relate to him. It is because he wants to share the joy he has. Prayer is our way of entering into the happiness of God himself. And I I can't think of a more motivating truth to pursue prayer that through a relationship with God and through prayer, that we would be able to find the happiness of God that has always existed for all of eternity, that we can receive the joy and love and friendship that has existed within the Trinity for all of eternity. And um, obviously this is nothing, something, <laughs> we're in waters right now that we can't comprehend, that our brain starts to explode a little bit. Anytime you start talking about the Trinity, it's like, well, my brain can't handle that because <laughs> we're not God, right? Uh, and he is so holy and other. And, um, but what a absolute privilege and beautiful truth that, that we are invited into sharing in the life of the Trinity and being adopted into the family of God. So when we pray, our Father in heaven, does the Trinity come to mind that the only reason we can say our Father is because of what the Son has done and and what the Spirit is doing inside of us? Do we think about that? Um, Do we think about how God has invited us into this loving and perfect relationship? And I, I think as this truth lodges deeper into our minds and it finds a more secure home in our hearts, uh, I believe our prayers will start looking more Christ-like, looking more like the Lord's Prayer as we begin to see these truths uh, take deeper root in, in who we are. And I, I wanted to uh, just remind you of, of some more truths. Um, and if you are a child of God this morning and you have put your faith in Jesus and God is your Father, I want to remind you that the Father... God the Father looks to you and says, you are my child, whom I, am, whom I love, and I am well pleased. That The Father looks at you because of what Jesus has done, and he says, you are my child, and I have, and I am working all things in your life together for good and for my glory. And the Father looks at you because of what Jesus has done and the relationship we now have with God. And he says, you are my child, and I have a purpose for, you li- for your life. I have good works for you to do, to reach the lost and to share my love with the people around you, with the world around you. 
And the father looks at you and says, you are my child and the best is yet to come. Maybe not in this life, but when we see the hope that we have in Christ, what the eternal home that we are looking forward to, um, we have so much to look forward to. In um, Mark 14, 36, I don't think I have a slide for this, but uh, in Mark 14, Jesus is in the garden before his crucifixion, and he's praying to his father, and, and he says this. He says, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then in Galatians 4, verse 6, we are told that because we are children of God, that through, through faith in Jesus, that God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, and we can cry, Abba, Father. And in Romans 8.15, it says that because of our union with Christ, through faith we receive the spirit of adoption as sons, by whom we cry, Abba, Father. And this word, Abba, um, may, may, maybe many of you have heard this before. It's an Aramaic word um, similar to like in English where a young child will say Papa or Dada. As children are learning how to speak, they can't say much, right? But they can make sounds like that. And Abba in Aramaic would be that equivalent. That we have the opportunity and the absolute insane privilege to come to the creator of the universe who is so holy and majestic, and powerful, and above us, and we can cry, Abba, Father. As I meditated on that truth and just thought through the implications of that, um, it brought to my mind uh, one of the most startling things that I found in becoming a new parent. Um, six years ago, when my oldest son, Lucas, was born, um, I was so startled by how small newborn babies are. And I remember holding him. I had no experience before then of holding a newborn baby. So I was like, oh. um, so why, is every, why are people trusting me to do this? This is not good. Um, someone help. Uh, so I'm holding Lucas in my hands, and I'm looking at him, and he's so small and fragile. And I'm just so worried that I'm going to break him and hurt him because I think about I'm so much bigger than this human being. And he's so needy and dependent upon um, my wife and I. And, and as I thought through that and just thinking about our relationship with God, that it's, it's like that in a relationship with God, but obviously a million trillion times more. Because the, the, the size that I am and the power and the strength that I have compared to, to my newborn son, Lucas, versus the size and power and majesty of the God of the universe and us in comparison... Um, is so much greater. That comparison is so much bigger. And God, our Father, is, cares for us in that tender way and um, knows us as our, and we are his children. And we can come to him as our Father who we know is on one hand all-powerful and has authority over everything. And he completely loves us. And he's not about to hurt us. He is only in the business of accomplishing things that lead to our ultimate good. And when we pray, we should remember this. 
our Father in heaven. Our Father in heaven. So, uh, Creekside, um, let us not be people who, uh, (laughs) it's kind of silly even thinking about it now, like, let us not pray to be seen by others, as Jesus said earlier on in the passage. How silly is that? What can other people offer us in comparison to the God of the universe? And I love what Jesus says when he, in, earlier on when he's like, don't pray to be seen by others, because if you do that, you're, you've already gotten your reward, but pray to the Father who's, um, who sees you, and you'll be rewarded that the God of the universe sees you and is listening to you. And is that not the ultimate reward? And Jesus also says, don't pray um, thinking that if you just say a bunch of words, and it's a really long prayer that, you, that God will hear you better. <laughs> um, no. Your Father already knows what you need. And, in some mysterious way, part of the way that he meets those needs is by asking us, by instructing us to bring those requests before him. And that is part of being a child of God, is to bring those needs that we have to him And part of his mysterious plan is, even though he already knows what we need, we are to bring those needs, and he accomplishes his will. And and, uh, for our lives, and for the world. So, um, at this time, I wanted to invite uh, Brian and the team back up, and... uh, Just finish with uh, just two ways for us to respond um, to these truths about who God is, about uh, what we see here in the Lord's Prayer in Matthew 6 and what we see throughout Scripture. And the first one is uh, for any of us who are not children of God, if there's anyone here that you have not given yourself to Christ and you have not received Jesus and believed in his name and you haven't had that right to, become, to call God your Father, as it said in John 1, um, do that today. Become a child of God. You might be thinking, well, I didn't prepare for that. I didn't come, we're ready to do that. You know, I'm not, I need to sort out my life first before I do that. Um, and I would say to that, uh, the only thing you have to bring is your need before God. And, and confession and honesty of the fact that before the God of the universe, you are so desperately needy and sinful and broken And God is so far above and holy and perfect. And to simply receive the gift of Jesus that is offered to the world, to anyone who uh, would call upon his name. So I I will be up here after the service. We'll have some people on our prayer team up here as well that we would love to talk more about that, to pray with you, if that is something that you wanted to do this morning, to become a child of God. There's nothing greater than that. And secondly, for all of us who are uh, followers of Jesus, who are God's children, I, I would just, I think this question is maybe just for the whole month of August. Like, how do our prayers need to be, inju- need to be adjusted in, in light of who God is and what we see here in the Lord's Prayer? And just that we as a church, uh, obviously none of us here have our prayers perfectly dialed in. Our vision of God clearly is not as it should be 
So we all are a work in progress, progress, and we need to grow. I need to grow significantly in this area. So I would just invite you for this month as we look at this prayer to come with humble hearts and to be open to Jesus teaching you how to pray and to shape you into a person that prays um, in this way. So um, let, us, uh, let us sing uh, to God, and then um, I'll come up here afterwards. <laughs>